It's good to see everyone that is here this morning. I am the guinea pig. We have a new sound system. You've noticed the new speakers. Well, we have a couple of men here, the Michael who came up and installed it, and Ian who's been helping them. And you're going to see some people panic, just see them, but back that all the time, whenever, and they'll, they'll panic. I hope that you find that what we do this morning is in accordance to God's will. If you're a visitor here, thank you for being here. You are our guest. We hope that you will find that everything we do is according to God's word and to his will. And that the things that I say this morning are from the scriptures. And they can be confirmed through by reading and studying thereof. I want to spend some time this morning talking about the cross. What does the cross mean to you personally? We talk about the cross a lot. Jesus died on the cross. He was crucified on the cross. But we're going to deal deeply, dig deeply into the cross because it has significant meaning to you and I as Christians. There's a message of the cross, more than one. We're going to talk about a few of them this morning. The message of the cross is for all mankind. It's for you and I. It's for the sinner that is out there that has not been converted to the Lord. It's for us when we sin that we can get forgiveness. The message of the cross is the grace of God to us. And 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us... Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For the Jews required a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, Greeks foolishness. The Jews thought that there was going to be a man that God was going to send, and he was going to be their leader, and they were going to overthrow the Roman government, and they were going to set up an eternal kingdom in Jerusalem. The Greeks, when they were listening to what the Apostle Paul had to say, they thought, well, this is crazy. This man died on the cross. He was supposed to be their leader. And he failed miserably. So it's foolishness to them. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. To the Roman soldiers, it was just another day. They had three men to crucify. As far as they know, that was all that was crucified that day. And in Matthew, the 27th chapter, it says, And they crucified him and parted the garments, casting lots, and it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. It was just another day. Probably wasn't a pleasant thing for them to do. No one's that callous. But they were ordered, these men, capital punishment. And so it was their job. To the Jewish leaders, they looked upon the cross and they said, it's payback. It's justification. It's an indication that there were right because there is Jesus on the cross. Matthew 27 and 41 said, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders and said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel... Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. 
He trusted in God like let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. They thought they were justified in the rejection of Jesus Christ because there he was on the cross. There was another message that day that was Pilate's message. He sort of stuck it to the Jewish leaders just a little bit. He reminded the Jews who was in charge. It wasn't the Jews, it was the Romans. For he said in John 19 and 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. Your king is on the cross. And us Romans put him there. Your king is on the cross. Didn't make any difference to us. He stuck it to them that day. That was his message of the cross. In the English language, we often have words that have two meanings or more. We know that the cross, as we have a picture there of the cross, we understand that's what it looks like. But, but cross is also a verb, as I crossed over the road. Same spelling, different idea. Well, the cross was truly a crossword, a crossroad in man's, in man's time in this world. The old law was completed in Christ. You know, he said that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And God's plan came up to the cross, and on one side of the cross is the Old Testament. The other side of the cross is Jesus Christ, the New Testament. The cross is a crossroad. In the old law, we had the physical laws of do's and don'ts, Animal sacrifice for atonement of sin. God had a nation of people. There was only one nation. It was Israel, Israelites. Everyone else did not have favor with God. And there was a worldly priesthood of men that, through heritage, offered sacrifice to God for the people. After the cross, there was a spiritual law given to us of love not of do's and don'ts, of caring. There's one sacrifice. And important to you and I here as Gentiles, it was one sacrifice for all. Where God allowed all people to be his people. It's also a better testament and a better, a better law in that you and I are God's sons and daughters. We're not just his people or his family with Jesus Christ being our brother we have one eternal priest that high priest who died on the cross that is now at the right hand of God petitioning for us in the presence of God there was a difference between the Jews and the Greeks at the time. The Jews and the Gentiles at the time. There was, the Jews were God's chosen people. The Gentiles were not. But through the cross in Ephesians 2 and 14 it says, For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments containing in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity therein, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, to the Gentiles and to the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. The New Testament was better than the Old Testament. The New Testament included everyone. The New Testament included us. And it was there because of the crossroads of the cross. Colossians 2 says, And whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sin of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. If you go back in the Old Testament and read about the law of circumcision, it's very plain what it was for. It was an outward physical appearance that I was, I was part of the Israelite family. I was part of God's people. And that's what it was for. It was an outward expression of that under Jesus Christ you and I are also circumcised because there's an outward expression that you and I live through Christ that our bodies are dead and that we live through him and so we're different and it should be obvious to other people that we are different buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Those ordinances and those laws and those sacrifices and those commandments that were given in the old law were fulfilled in Christ, and he nailed them to the cross. We're not under the Old Testament anymore. We're under the New Testator. We're under Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 9 says there, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, say, not of this building, neither by the blood of the goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once in the holy place, having ordained eternal redemption for us. For if the, bulls, the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of heifers sprinkled, sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The writer here says that if those bloods of blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers could purify the fleshly man. How much more could the eternal and perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood do for mankind? In Romans 8 it says, There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. We walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and of the sin condemned sin in the flesh, 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We are under a new dispensation that's not a law of do's and don'ts. It's a law of do what is right. It is a law of love. It is love that directs us to do the things that God wants us to do. It's different than the old law. It is a better law. I want to talk now about the cross and the sacrifice that was placed upon it and the price that was paid. We talk about this quite a bit in lessons. But I'd like to direct your attention to the real price. The cross, what it represented in that sacrifice. Romans 5 said, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. It is unimaginable to me that the creator of everything without me doing anything, and in fact me fighting against him, the physical flesh fighting against him, sent his son to die on the cross while I was ungodly, while I didn't care, while I was in sin, while I was in sin. And yet he did that. To the Greeks this was foolishness. But we know that he sent his son to die not because mankind was good, not because mankind was getting better, not because mankind wanted to get better. He sent his son to die on the cross for you and I that are sinners and don't deserve it. We read in Isaiah 53 quite a bit. Reading there from the third verse says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now when Christ walked on this earth, there were a number of people that believed, him, believed in him. There were thousands. There were a lot of people that believed and really understand what they were believing. Even the apostles didn't get the whole picture until after he died. But there were so many that said, this man, he's not good looking. He's not educated. He doesn't stick to the rules. This man I reject. It says here that he was esteemed not. The leaders of the Jewish people didn't like him. They certainly didn't give him any credit. And yet God sent him to be bruised for our sins, for our iniquities. And by his stripes we are healed. Later on in that chapter it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make my soul an offering for sin. That's what he did. He gave up his soul. 
He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The sacrifice on the cross, the price that was paid, was tremendous. But God saw it, and he was satisfied. His son justified many, you and I, not because we're not sinners, but because he had our sins forgiven, and he bore our iniquities on the cross. Did a little of back of the envelope calculation when I was thinking about this lesson. I said, you know, we always see in the movies and stuff the cross, and we'll see Jesus carrying the, dragging the cross up the hill of Golgotha. I said, well, let's just make some assumptions about the wood and about the size and all that. And it cross weighed somewhere between 200 and 250 pounds. Now, is that exact? No, but close enough. Now, I'm a little guy, but I could take that cross and I could drag it up that hill if it wasn't too steep. At 200 pounds, I could do it. 100 on my shoulders and drag it 100. That's what they expected Jesus to do in John 19. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. You know what? The scripture says that his body was broken for you and me. Not bones broken, but broken down. This was a man who had almost no skin left on his back from the beating. This was a man that scriptures do not show that he ever had any water, any food, certainly no rest. He couldn't make it up the cross. His body couldn't make drag, I shouldn't say that wrong, his body could not drag the cross up Galgatha. The Roman soldiers recognized it, for they said in Luke 23, and as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. They recognized that the Son of God was not physically strong enough to drag the cross. Couldn't do it. Now, I'm not giving you this because it makes any difference what the cross weighed. It's not. But the true weight of the cross was the spiritual weight and it was unimaginable. Our Savior carried to the cross the sins of all mankind from the day of creation or from the time of the sinning of Adam and Eve. He carried with him in his body the sins from, from the time of the cross until now. And he carries yours and my sins there. The weight is unimaginable. The spiritual weight crushed his soul. Isaiah 53 tells us that. It crushed his soul. It, it leaned upon his spirit. First Peter 2 and 24 said, Who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree? That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. What do you think that weighed? He bore our sins, the sins of all mankind, in his body that hung on the tree. 
Spiritual weight is unimaginable. In the darkest hour, we know it was the darkest hour because the sun didn't shine for three hours. And at the end of that three hours, the God of heaven turned turned and looked not on his son. The weight was so heavy. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What a price was paid. What a price was paid for my sins. It wasn't a light thing. God demanded justification. And he got it through the perfect sacrifice of his son. For his death on the cross, the cross becomes a symbol of salvation. And Hebrews 9 and 27 says, As it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look unto him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We read again in Romans 8 and 31, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spareth not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus paid the price so we could have salvation. He paid the price so that God would be justified and God could give to his children the things his children need. The cross, the symbol of salvation. Back in Acts, the second chapter, as we close up our lesson, we find there where the apostle Peter given the first recorded sermon, gospel sermon, and he gave it to thousands of Jews that were there in the city. And if you go back and read in Acts, the second chapter, you'll find that he was convincing those Jews that what they had done was crucify God's son. In the 36th verse it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now I presume pricked in the hearts mean that they were convinced that what Peter told them was the truth and that they actually had crucified the Son of God. Put yourself in that audience. Put yourself as a believing Jew that had come to to worship God in Jerusalem and you're now convinced that what you did was kill his son. You know that the God is a merciful God. You know that God's a loving God. But you know that he is a vengeance God. I don't know about you, but I would be wondering why I'm still alive. I'm sure that some, some, I'm sorry, I'm sure that some wondered that, that day. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins that ye have received, the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, There is a way out, and it's because of the cross. Yes, you crucified the Son of God, but it had to happen. For God needed justification to have our sins forgiven. In the 39th verse it says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
the promise that Peter told them of being baptized to have their sins remitted and stand right in the sight of God is the same promise we have today. We can get forgiveness for our sins. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and in doing so we confess Him before men and that we come and we have our sins washed away through baptism, we can be a child of God. For the preaching of the cross is to them that preach foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The cross is important. It was God's plan. All of the history we find in the Old Testament was to draw us to the cross. If there's someone that is subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing a couple of verses.